Hey guys, welcome back to another Dogbone podcast. Uh, this one is taken from a friend of ours, a friend of mine named Sam Linsmeyer. And Sam is a, uh, I got to know him through a workshop of ours. He actually came to a handler's workshop, came to a couple of them now, but I was introduced to him by his dad um, and his dad's buddy. They came to a workshop. I got to know these guys pretty well. I've shared camp with Sam and his brother and his dad. And I've, I have a, a pretty special connection with him. Um, but he is in a business class uh, in college and reached out to me and asked me if I'd be willing to record a podcast with him for one of his classes. And so this is a, we recorded it as well. He used this to turn in as a, an assignment and we recorded it as a podcast and it ended up being kind of a fun interview. Um, I thought he did a tremendous job with his preparation for it as far as the questions go, but I wasn't sure what he wanted to talk about, but obviously for a business class, it wasn't necessarily about dog training. Um, and it ended up getting a little, it'll give you a, probably a pretty good feel of the backstory of our, our business um, and how we kind of got started and led to the team that we've built and the group that we are now, um, both with our brands of Dogbone and Hodeg. So I hope you enjoy it. It's, it was a lot of fun to do with Sam. Um, we're coming up on the holidays. I want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas and a happy and a safe new year. And thank you guys all for, um, for your support. We really appreciate it. And I hope you enjoy a little bit of a backstory of how we got to the point that we're at. Um, thanks again. If you, if you enjoy these podcasts, please do me the favor of sharing them or leaving ratings wherever you're listening to them. Um, if you know someone that you think they might be helpful to, please feel free to share it with them. So I'll just have you um, start with introducing yourself and then uh, what you were doing before you started your business. Sure. So um, I, my name is Jeremy Moore and we, I have a small business of um, myself and a business partner. We own a, a small company in the outdoor space and we've got a couple different um, outdoor brands and some of them are related. One of them is that uh, which started our business was a brand called Dogbone, which is a, a pro it's primarily a products company that, that uh, we make, manufacture, assemble, package, and, and distribute products that I feel personally, um, I use them all personally. And it's things that I think help with training our dogs more so towards hunting dogs, but that's how we got started. But now we've kind of moved into uh, more broad areas of dog training. That's, that's one of our brands. And then we've got another brand that's um, in the, in, it's in the outdoor space as well, but it's called Hodeg and it's a scent community. It's a line of products that are designed um, towards replicating what deer do naturally in the woods with regards to scent communication. And so we've got um, several products that um, both Dogbone and Hodeg started out with, with patented products, which that doesn't always happen. I, I think in business today, I think it's, it's rare to find something that's truly unique um, and yeah. new concept wise, but those two brands um, allowed us, we, I, I wrote a patent for each one of the kind of core products in those brands. One, one was shed training for the, for the dogs. And the other one was what we call the licking stick, which is a scent communication stick and an apparatus that you use to kind of establish it in the woods for deer. And then yeah. we've also got a, um, because as we've as we've grown we've we've expanded into different areas sometimes just by dumb luck and sometimes it's strategic but we've got a couple of brands in the pet space that are more consumer consumable type products um we do some business with some farm farm chains and, and things like that so there's a couple of brands in that as well so and and even more recently we're, we're expanding from our dog bone line is just, which is mostly training products and information that goes along with it. We're moving into some things that, that I've been using over the last couple of years that I think is real valuable, has been really valuable for me. And we've basically partnered with a couple of different companies. Um, and we're excited about the idea of bringing these to market, which is more like supplements and, and health benefits, that things that bring health benefits to our dogs. So it kind of relates closely back to active lifestyle dogs which is obviously what we're kind of into 
Yeah. Yeah. So what, what gave you the idea to start, start the business or did you? Uh... Yeah. Well, so it, passion, I think, and I, I hate that word because I think it's overused. I think everybody uses that as a buzzword, um, but it was, tr but it's true. And it's true in a lot of situations. I, my background, you had asked me before, my background is construction. Um, my family has been in construction forever. My, my, from my great grandparents on, um, everyone was, all the guys were kind of in construction one way or another. And so was I, and I, that's what I went to college for. I, I went to school for construction management. I went into the construction field and I worked for, um, large contractors for, for many years. Um, but I, and work, and that was work for me. And that was work. That's what my family has always done. But I, I have a, a, a real strong, it's partially because of culture where we, where I'm from Wisconsin, raised in, I was born in Northern Wisconsin and lived there till about fifth or sixth, sixth grade. And then I moved down to the Green Bay area. But even still, when I moved down here, hunting and fishing in the outdoors is a very big part of the lifestyle that I've been around yeah. um, and, and come to love. And so it's one of those things where, how do I, how do I go from construction to this business? It, it's, it was because I, I loved it so much. And it was because I, I really loved working with the dogs and I was training dogs for myself um, on a personal level. And then I got, that's where I kind of got good at it. I, I was working out with my own dogs and I, I would say I developed a, a good hand for it. And, and that was when I really put a lot of time in studying and trying to trying to learn as much as I could about it from as many places as possible and, and trial and error, and then just actually doing it and figuring out what worked best for me. But then it became, you know, some people that I knew and worked with in, in construction knew that I had good dogs. And, and so then it became a, a little side, little moonlighting thing for me, where it was a couple of people said, Hey, you know, I've got a puppy or I've got a young dog. Would you, would you work with it? So I started yeah. doing it kind of on the side and I loved that. And, yeah. but I, but I, it became something that was so, such a big part of my life that I was thinking about it all the time and it, and it got in the way of work and it got in the way. And, and so all of a sudden it became the idea for the shed training thing was I, it was, it was a hobby of mine. I was shed hunting with my dogs. Um, I had, I had, was experimenting with it, trying to figure out how to do it. There really wasn't a lot of information or anything out there on it. I had heard yeah. of people doing it. I wasn't the first person to do it. Certainly there were people that were doing it before me, but I had actually read an article in outdoor life about it. And so through experimenting with it, I, I went and got a puppy and it, eventually I got a puppy and I had a, uh, my puppy had a negative introduction to the antler and was really turned off by it. She poked herself with the antler. And so here I was thinking I was going about it the right way. And I ended up having a dog that was afraid of the antler. And so it made me think about it. Why, you know, when I train bird dogs, I don't introduce them to birds I, right off the bat. I slowly work my way to it. And I started thinking, well, why don't I do the same thing with, an, with, this, with this antler and if I'm trying to train a shed dog? So that made sense to me, but there wasn't anything out there like it. And that's where this idea was, well, we, there's a whole bunch of different ways to train gun dogs and bird dogs and products that help us do it, but there's really nothing to help us do this. So that was where the idea came from. And then it became a much more in-depth side hustle because then I was spending money on it. I was putting a lot of time into it and I was still working full-time construction, but I was kind of working a full-time job trying to do this as well, but not making any money. And, and I realized you can only spend so much money on, on a hobby before, you know, you gotta, you gotta get kind of serious about it. And that's where, I was like, I'm going to, I think this is a product. I think it could actually be a business. And the people that I had talked with about it gave me really good positive encouragement and support. So I was like, I think I'm going to try it. So I, I did write a patent for it and, um, and deer, the deer product was the same thing. It was a passion of mine. It was a kind of a dumb luck thing that I felt a group of buddies and I realized that this would work and, and, yeah. but, but how can you, how could you do it and actually make it into something that you could produce and, and sell and have it be effective. So same, same thing there. I wrote the patent on that and um, off I went and, and it was, it was 
at a certain point where it was like, I didn't have time to do both. And I really felt strongly enough about um, making a living doing what I really love to do. And that's when I decided to, to shift directions and, and quit construction. I always, I knew I could always go back to it if I had to, but I, yep. I realized I didn't, wasn't going to be able to do it if I didn't commit to it hundred percent. Yeah. And I think that, uh, the, you know, the, the, the passion, I just, maybe that's not the right term for it, but the passion is, uh, will, will take you a long ways in business. It might not yeah. take you all the way. It takes hard work and, and a lot of other stuff, but passion will get you farther than if you don't really care about what you're doing and stuff. Yeah. Cause you, well, that's just the word care is a big one there. Cause you, you got to yeah. care about it. And, and yeah. that's, and that's not always easy to do. And it's not always easy to keep going. Um, you know, keep that, keep that up, that passion up, but you know, you, you know, it as well as I do. And you, you and I have gotten to know each other and you've been to our, our workshops. And I think you, you've seen it very firsthand that there's certain things in life that get me excited. And one of them is working with dogs and one of them is working with people and their dogs. And yeah. that's, um, that's something that I I felt like there was a need for. And I still think that, and, and it's what it, it, it is a motivator. And I think that's yeah. really important to have. And I think, and I think one thing along those lines that uh, comes into play here is when, when you have pride in what you're doing, you do it better. It's, totally. That's just, that's just one. You just have more pride and you do, do the work better. For sure. But um, how did you, how did the lifestyle for you change after uh, you owned your business? Was it something, you know, like you didn't have a, necessarily a nine to five job. You were probably maybe working more, probably working yeah, more. Yeah, a lot more. Yeah. And then, so how did your lifestyle change? Or was, uh, was it something that you had to transition, transition into? Was it hard to transition or? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, because it, and it's, I'll share a story with you because, um, it's funny. I, I don't think about this kind of stuff very often. So that, that's a really good question. And when, one of the things that I think, um, because when I was working construction, it was a pretty good job. I, I, um, I, I made, I made pretty good money. And, and I, when I decided to do this, I don't know that it, I don't know that I realized truly how much of a step back it was going to be financially. Um, It was going to be spending a lot more and making a lot less. And that can get scary and and it can be a little risky and, and all that. And I think one of the things I had grown, I don't think I was ever very fancy. Like I I grew up very modest. My family was lived a pretty modest lifestyle. And when I, went out when I got out on my own and started, you know, making money as a single guy and then into relationships and having kids eventually and all that stuff. Like I, I was always pretty comfortable prior to this, this starting this business. And when I decided to do it, um, I had a nice, I mean, I had a really nice truck. I bought a, bought a brand new truck and Mm -hmm. I had bought a brand new truck a year or two before this. And I, you know, I, I had bought a cabin up North and I had a house and a duplex that I was living in. Like I just had, I had stuff and I, money wasn't a real money. Wasn't something I worried about that much. And so, but one day when I decided to do it and I had really good, my parents are great supporters of mine and they were from the beginning. And one of the things that they, what I was going to them for a lot of advice and, and help um and ended up being they gave me financial help as well to get me through this so the the early stages so they were they were they were there for me um right from the beginning and one of the things that i came i pulled into the driveway one day um i sold my truck because i realized i couldn't afford it i mean i was making payments on it and so and within a month or two of doing this i realized boy this this is i I am not going to be able to afford to drive that truck. So I sold it. Um, and I went and I, I needed a vehicle. So I, a buddy of mine that I had gone to high school with, he still had a truck that he had when he was in high school. And it was a, it was a 1999 Ford Ranger, two wheel drive, regular cab. And I was out that night or that weekend or whatever. And I had seen my buddy and we were talking and he brought up this truck. He was selling it. I said, how much are you selling it for? 
800 bucks you try to get for it and he said i i'll take it yeah. so, I, so i bought i bought this truck not a not the worst truck in the world but not the nicest truck and i pulled yeah. into my parents driveway with it and my mom came out and said what is that i said that's i bought it she said what do you mean you bought it i said i i can't i couldn't afford the truck i had and i bought this one and she she didn't tell me it then but that was like i didn't think i didn't think much of it i didn't think it was that big of a deal but she told me a, a while later how you know when she the first time she really knew i was very serious about what i was doing or wanted to do was when i pulled into the driveway with the 1999 ford ranger two-wheel drive and she yeah. said because it pretty much told me that you weren't you weren't worried about it anymore about what anybody thought and you knew what you had to do and you were going to do it and so yeah. so lifestyles changed greatly for me um you know i and i it in the beginning of it it was like it kind of seemed like a big deal but it didn't take much it didn't take long for me to realize a lot of the stuff that i was spending my money on i really didn't need anyway and i really yeah. didn't i didn't get that much out of it like i enjoyed it no question about it i enjoyed it but by not having the money to spend on it my life didn't the the quality of life didn't change um, yeah the 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 level of spend changed greatly and so it was kind yeah. of a good lesson for me um yeah. and i think i probably have carried that you know we're many years into business now and i i live probably a lot more modestly than i than i would have had i continued to just be doing the job that i was doing making the money i was making and and going on from there so for me the idea of starting a business it took some sacrifice but it wasn't yeah. that but it wasn't that hard because if you really wanted to do it you just knew you had to do it yeah it was just what you knew you had to do right right so after after kind of switching back after you started your business um you know how did you get your name out out, out there to the public and and get get what you needed which was you know the people to see your name because yeah. you know i i saw your name my dad showed it to me on on youtube and so not everyone's got a dad that shows up your sure. name so how, how did you uh get your name out there i mean what were your first steps on doing that i guess yeah well we're you know another good question because we, when when you're starting out you're you know we don't you don't have the resources that some some companies have and and the beauty of the beauty of today, I think, is um, in this era, is that it's it's there's a lot of there are a lot of methods and a lot of ways to to get some get awareness, and I think that's the key. I, I think the key to selling your product is a it's got to be a good product because it, if it's not good, it won't last. Like you yeah. can only BS people for so long. But when you yeah. have a good product, and that's a whole different topic, but once you have a good product, it's only, it's only good and effective if you can get it in front of people. And so one of the things when I first started, actually, I went to, I went to something that they still have, we still have them and they still do them, but they don't do them nearly as much or as often anymore. But they used to have these consumer shows where it'd be like a deer classic or uh, it was a shed show actually that I went to in Wisconsin Dells. And it was, it was at the, uh, um, like one of the one of the resorts they have a big hall and, yep. and you know it vendors come and set up booths and sell stuff for the weekend it's a two or three day show yep. and so i got a booth space there and the reason the reason i did it was because the people that i was talking with were very close the people that i was talking about the idea and what i was trying to do they were all kind of close to me they were all in my life and no one's going to tell you you got a bad idea. Like there's just, it's hard to, yeah. to tell someone that. So, but I, but I also think, you know, and I appreciate honesty from people. So when people would tell me, Oh, I think that's a good idea. I think that's a good idea. It gave me momentum, but I also had to kind of test it in the real world. And so for me, being able to go to a, a consumer show was probably the most cost-effective way. I, I think the booth was five, 600 bucks, something like that. Yeah. But it gave me an opportunity to show my stuff to complete strangers and it, it, what that allowed me to do was be able to read the crowd and yeah. try to get a feel from them and get an understanding from them 
do they get it? What are the yeah. questions? Do they like it? Can I sell it to them? Get the um, constructive feedback from the people who are actually using it, the consumers. Absolutely. And, yeah. and those, are, they, those were the people I wanted. You know, like you go to a deer, I'm selling products that were connected to deer hunting and dog training. Yeah. So to go to a deer show or like this one was a shed, more of a shed specific, shed hunting specific show, yep. but it was going to be the same crowd. And, and so it, that, that type of a show helped me. And so that was how I got my first kind of feedback. And then the other thing that comes from a, a, a show like that is the opportunity to network with people. You end up meeting people. You end up meeting people in other booths. You end up meet other, meeting other small businesses. You end up meeting um, some people that have really big businesses that are going to these shows. So you end up getting to develop a network of people that are in your space or in your world. And that's your first opportunity, I think, to, to sell yourself as being honest and being, um, I, I think being a good person, I think there's value. I think it's underrated to be a good person. And so yeah. there's there, cause I, I recognize and realize like we can't do everything on our own and we're going to need help and we're going to need some luck. But I also think that you create your own luck when you've got people on your side. And so when you get into that network, you're at the show all day and then in the evening you're in the restaurant, you're in the bar and you're talking with these different people and you start developing some really good relationships. And so for me, that was probably one of the best ways for me to, to, to get a gauge on what did the market say about what I was trying to sell. And then, and it wasn't all good, you know, and it was some things that were confusing. Some people didn't understand it. And so I had to figure out how do you tell that story differently? so that they so that they get it and yeah. what are your strengths and weaknesses one of the things i always had going for me was dogs like i always had yeah. a dog in the booth and if you have a well-behaved dog and you're selling products that help with dog training that's yeah. a, that's an, that makes it so much easier because a your booth is always going to be busy because there's always going to be people wanting to pet the dogs yep. but the few people that are there that are actually kind of in your market that you're trying to sell to now you got a chance. You got a better chance to talk to them rather than trying to catch them, you know, catch their uh, attention to, to talk. Because at a show like that, people are some people are just they're just going through. You know, they're going through fast. So you got to figure out like how do you capture them? Well, yeah, marketing in general. Yeah, I've been to I went to uh, Pheasant Fest last year, and I always thought it was kind of interesting that people that were um, they're breeders and they're they're some breeders. You know, they'll have like you know six dogs in their booth and they're all on place and you know everything and then there's there's a you go to the next booth that's um a breeder and they don't have any dogs yeah you it almost you know just may, maybe they have good dogs but you, it just makes you wonder a little bit right it's hard know, yeah why their dogs aren't there you know exactly what's, what's that? right right so those are all things that you know those are all different 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 things that i felt were important to pay attention to early on and yeah. because you got to remember like when i was doing this this is all foreign to me like i haven't i had never had a small business i had never built the product i had never done any of that stuff so it was really learning um yeah. and and those were opportunities those were good opportunities to learn and almost like have a little um controlled environment that i could test stuff in and i mean we did we did we still do it to this day when we do shows now we do, you know we don't do as many consumer shows but we do trade shows which are more like for industry for our industry stuff and we still i still find myself my business partner and i both we look we start analyzing after after so long if we're not getting people to stop what do we what do we got to do so we'll go walk down the aisle ourselves and look at our booth and be like okay would we be better off to have this on this corner? Would we be better off to turn this TV a little bit this way? Are we better off? Are we competing with these two TVs? Do we need to separate them? Like you, yeah. you still are looking to figure out because that makes, that might make the difference for you. So it's, you know, you can't ever get comfortable. I don't think to the point where you don't think about that stuff anymore. You got to always be kind of, yeah. kind of thinking about small details that way. On your toes a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, so wrapping back to uh, getting your name out there. So with, um, I guess with like advertising and stuff, how did that change as your business uh, like pro progressed and um, your name got out there and, and your co company developed again? Yeah, um, 
Another great question. We, you know, we've shifted a lot over the years. When we first started out, and and we sh- we've shifted, I think, with the times, and and hopefully we continue to do that and stay ahead. But like when we first started out, it was long enough ago that TV was the thing. I mean, TV was yeah. advertising on television was the thing to do um, yeah. if you were in our space, and we did it. Um, we did it without knowing much. We did it. It cost us a lot. It was very expensive. Um, yeah. And I'm not saying it was not not worth it completely, but I don't think it was worth it wasn't worth what we were paying for. And the the problem with it was is it was very difficult to measure what it brought us. And so yeah. as as times changed, this is how this is kind of makes you feel old, but it, as times changed, like with social media stuff, social media marketing became really attractive to us because as soon as we started to get into it and, and, and start operating in that area, it became really clear to us how quickly we could recognize success. Like if it was working, we knew if it wasn't working, we could shut it off. And so our spend was measurable and our return on our spend was extremely measurable. And so, and easy, it was actually pretty easy. And the other thing is, is it was quite effective. Like we were seeing, we were seeing great return on ad sets that we prior, if we had done a commercial, we had spent a whole bunch of money on the commercial because you had to do all this kind of fancy stuff to make it TV quality and all that. Like we, we, as the time went on, our phones are, we, we invested in quite a bit of equipment and in manpower, even as time went on, but when we first got going, just a simple smartphone with a good camera on it allowed us to put together some pretty good quality stuff at a very low, low expense. And yep. our social media platforms, a, a lot of our work early on was very organic. Like our, our growth was very organic. And then when we started putting some money behind some ad sets and things like that, it really started to make, give us return that we could see in, in the moment live. And so we shifted um, away from television. We did it really early on, but we went away from it. We, we did ad, we did traditional ad print stuff. Um, one of the things that I think we kind of leveraged was the fact that our business and our products are pretty content driven, like it's information. And so if we were to do an ad somewhere, like the traditional way to do it would just be design the ad, pay the, pay the, the printing company or, or publisher, or whoever you're working with for that ad space. We get, we would get contacted a lot for that, but what we would do is instead of doing that, we would say, yeah, we're maybe be interested, but we want to be somehow providing information. So it's either we're writing an article or someone else is writing an article about our subject and we're going to put an ad close to it where it's related to what we're, what we're selling or offering. And so, yeah. We started to kind of utilize that um, where it would allow us to have more than just a just a little billboard ad, more than just a little quarter page, you know, type thing. Cause I just again, I don't I mean personally, old school, that's how you did it. Me personally, I look at that and I go, that's spend a whole bunch of money and hope it turns out. And yeah, does it work? Maybe, but I need more as a small business guy, I need more substance that can give me better feedback on dollars out versus dollars returned because, you know, marketing and spending money like that, you know, you got, there's cost of goods on your product. So when I sell something right away, I'm taking off my cost of goods. So if I sell something for 20 bucks and cost me 10 bucks to make it only making 10 bucks. So Yeah. yeah, you sell 20, but you only made 10. But if you spent six bucks to advertise it, to sell that one product, your 10 is now down to four. So I'm making $4 on something that cost me 10. That's not, it's not a good, I, I want to be able to that, like financially that you got to do an awful lot of work to make a few dollars. So it, it allowed, we didn't, I don't feel like we got that data. We didn't get that information as well. Um, yeah. The old school way. So yeah, so our average, so how we got out there, and then and then you start. And that, I'm just talking about paid stuff. 
But then you can start looking at things like TikTok, like more recent, yeah. fast forward, you know, a couple of years ago, we start TikTok and, and our TikTok is probably our greatest following right now. And we spend the least amount of money. I don't know that we spend hardly anything on TikTok because it's just not yeah. built right now. It's not built well for advertising. So we don't spend a lot of advertising dollars on it, but yeah. that'll change because Facebook used to be the way and then Instagram. And so all that stuff kind of changes as, and, and there'll be more to come. Um, I think the biggest thing for us is figuring out we're probably a little old school. I'm, I'm definitely a little old school. And so yeah. I'm not as quick to jump on the next hot thing, but I also yeah. don't want to wait so long that it makes it that you miss out on a lot of the opportunity early on. So I let a lot of, I, I follow a lot of it closely, but I don't necessarily partake in a lot of it actively until it's yeah. kind of proven itself. I think as yeah. far as a platform goes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's something um, that needs to be done because otherwise you, you'll, you'll end up wasting a lot of time. Yeah. And we don't have the ability. We're too small. And we're, yeah. we, 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 we oftentimes kind of joke about it, but it's not really a joke is we, we always say we, with our business, we're living in a fishbowl here because it's small and everybody, I mean, we've got, a, we've got a great team, but it's a small team and everyone has to be able to do their job and do it well. And if it, and if they don't, it's easy to see. And so, um, we don't have a lot of extra resources, whether it be manpower or finance or, or time. And, and yeah. all three of those are, are real important keys um, to any small business. Yeah. So, so after, after you got started, you ended up, you got employees. What was it like to, you know, hire those employees and delegate tasks and stuff? In the beginning, it was really hard for me um, yeah. because I'm a, That's I'm a, I'm a control guy. Probably. That's kind of what I was thinking. You know, it's, it's hard to, you know, let go of the things that, you know, you started. Yeah. So very much so. And it yeah. was for me and it got to the, it came to the point and that's a, that's a delicate thing um, for small business. I think it's probably for big business too, but uh, just on a different scale, I suppose. But it it's one of those things that you, when we first, did it we were when we first hired on anybody we were re reluctant because we looked at the we looked at the overhead implications we looked at the money part of it and we went man we just can't afford to do this once we hired someone we realized that we couldn't afford not to hire people yeah. because we recognized how much it took off of our plate uh, which would which allowed us to then grow and that was ultimately what our goal was, was to continue to grow it because yep. there's only, you, you got to get to a certain, with a small business, there's, there's this, there's these overhead parts of it that are going to be there no matter what, regardless of the volume that you do. And there's a sweet spot where you start selling enough product, making enough profit that your overhead doesn't necessarily grow incrementally with it. And so you got to kind of get over that hump. And when, when we first started, hiring people we saw it we didn't see it that way and but but i also think it's you got to hire the right people and like when you're small that can easily become an issue if you because if you only have five six employees and one or two of them aren't aren't good fits that's really crippling because it's yeah. a huge percentage of your team that isn't yeah. a, a good fit and so you just don't have the luxury of of having spot, spots, sp yeah, a spot that doesn't have the right person in it. And so, yeah. and, and we, you know, one of the things that we learned was, um, because we've gone through it a little bit, and one of the things we learned was, one of the worst things you can do is not act on that quickly. Like I, and I, I had, I've had, um, you know, I'm not, it's a challenging thing for me, because I, I, I always feel like if it's, if it's not working out with an employee, I always feel like I have done something wrong as a leader. Like I, I, didn't, I didn't coach them right. I didn't, I didn't set yeah. them up to succeed. And that goes back probably to dog training stuff because I, I oftentimes don't think that the dogs make mistakes. I think we, we fail to set them up to succeed. And yeah. so I, look at it, I looked at it that way a lot with employees. And one scenario, you know, was a real tough one for me because I just, I, I wanted to, I didn't, 
I didn't want to let the guy go. And I, I wanted to figure out how to make it work. And we went back and forth and I ended up, it ended up when we did end up parting ways. The, the first thing he said to me was, this is such a relief. He said that to me. And I went, what do you mean? Cause I was, I was, it was tearing me apart for months. Yeah. And I said, and he said, I, it just wasn't the right fit for me, but I didn't want to let you guys down. And here we are knowing that it's just not the right fit, but we don't want to let him down. And so, yeah. the, so we're sitting, so we, we, we ended up both because we, you know, cared about what we were doing, ended up kind of crippling ourselves a little bit. So from that point on, it was a learning thing for me of, and I, and I have a, a buddy that owns a small business and I was talking with him about it prior to this. This is many, many years ago now, but one of the things he told me just before we ended up um, kind of letting this guy go on a different route, he told me, he said, and this made a lot of sense to me for whatever reason it hit me. He said, you know, if, if you guys, if you guys let him go, it might be the best thing for him because it might allow him to find what he wants to do and what he needs to do, what he should yeah. do. And I had never thought about it that way. And so as soon as I did, then we did. And all of a sudden we find out and, and it ends up in the end, it was the best. And for lots of reasons. So, so yeah, yeah so it, it, but, but I'm a, I have a hard time giving stuff up. It is like yeah. the baby. And, and so you, but when you find the right person and it, it's a, it's a necessary thing because one person can't, you can't do everything. Yeah. Um, and you gotta, you gotta accept that. You gotta realize it at some point. Yeah. So I'm um, going back to the, like the, the products that you created. So um, were those products that, or how did you come up with the products? Was it, you saw the need and you, you uh, were, that was an, you know, an effort at solving the problem or was it, yeah. um, or was it, or how did, I guess, how did you come up with the, with the product? Yeah, the, I think that's the core. I think that's kind of the root of where our, where our products come from. Um, you know, it, it, I do think you got to know your trade. You got to know your craft. And so for training stuff, you know, dog training is not super complicated. I don't think it, I, I think oftentimes we make it more complicated than it should be. And so I, I am into a, um, a mindset of simplistic, keep it as simple as possible. I just, I, I think, I think in general, in my life, I'm trying to go that direction. So when, when it came to our products, it was a, it was something that I thought was a need because I had a problem. How do I fix it? From yeah. that, we, I've, we've developed lots of products and some of them are because, Hey, I've got a problem. How could I fix it? But a lot of things these days, there's, it's, everything's kind of been invented when I, when you look at life, like we've been around long enough and we've got enough technology and innovation that, you know, there's not a lot of things that the human hasn't kind of come out with. So to reinvent stuff from the very, very beginning is, is challenging, I think. But I do think, and this is part goes back to partly how, just how my makeup is. There's a lot of things that I look at that I like, but I feel like they could be better if they had this or that, or they, they, they could be improved on by doing this to them. And so it's just the way I've always been probably is, I see stuff, but it doesn't quite work the way I would like it to because of this, this, or this. And so I have a tendency to tinker with things and then make it work better for me. And so what I have found is when it comes to dog training, my style, my, the style of training that I prefer is probably more simplistic. It's not quite, it's, it's a, just a different, it's a, it's a whole different conversation, but it's a different path than most, I would say, most modern day trainers take. And so for me, I think it's a, to my advantage because I think there's a lot of folks that will get better results by simplifying what they're trying to do with their dog rather than overcomplicating it. And so it's allowed me to, from a product standpoint, because our business is ultimately we sell products. It's the best way to support our brand is to buy the products. But what I have found is that what's lacking, I think, out there 
is how to use products when it comes to training dogs, because training dogs is not, um, it's not like programming computers where, yeah. where you, you have to, it's not like building a motor or an engine. It's not like you, under, you know, you got to have, it's, it, it's not technical that way. Instead, it's really like, it's driven off of a lot of connection. There is some mechanical stuff to it for sure. And I think there's some, some physical things that have to be there that, that make logical sense when it comes to some of the ideas of how dogs operate and work. But I think that one of the ways we've found success with our dog bone brand is by producing the products in a way that I feel are beneficial. Like I think making the best product, I think we make some of the best products. I just really believe in the quality of them. I think we, 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 they're simple, they work, they're made well, they're made here in the States. I'm pretty proud of that. So those are, that's the, that's that part of the business. The other part of the business, I think that helps support that is we've made a major investment into the idea of let's show people how to use them. So we support, yeah. we support the product with content and information on how to, because that's the part that you, you need that part too, if you're going to train a dog. And so it, the same has been a more challenge, maybe a little bit more challenging with our products in, in the deer world, because, but the, it's, it is the same because they work really well. Our Hodeg line works excellent, but if you don't put it in the right spot, it won't work. So we have to like figure out how to educate people. And when you start talking about deer hunting or dog training or anything for that matter, it's very hard to tell people how to do it because mm -hmm. they learn from their dad and they learn from their mom and their uncles and aunts and whatever. And so they, and, and we really, I think a lot of times we have a lot of pride in what we do and how we do it. And so it's hard to just tell someone how to do something. So you got to figure out the right way to be able to share the information that becomes valuable to them without sounding like a, you know, a boss basically. Yeah. And so that's one of the things that I, I think we've, we've realized and, and made a pretty conscious effort with Hodeg. It's to try to try to teach people what's worked really well for us. And I shouldn't use the word teach. It's, it's share what's worked well for us and why, and then allow them to use their mind and imagination and ideas to figure out how could they do something similar in their setups, where their woods are, where they hunt. When it comes yeah. to the dogs, it's, it's a, you got to show that the dogs can do certain things and B it's, I think how you get there. And, and one yeah. of the things that, one of the things that it's not appealing to everybody, it's not what everybody wants to do, but a lot of folks I think are interested in accomplishing certain things with their dogs in a way that doesn't require certain things or, or does yeah. require some things. And I'm a big believer in the idea of that connection and feel and trust and developing you know, kind of warm and fuzzy stuff when it comes to the dogs. And you don't see that always. And so we're, we're probably a little bit different that way. And yeah. that's, that's where that maybe appeals to our customer. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think that's one of the things that's, you know, unique about dogs. And um, I guess I don't have a lot of experience in the deer in the, um, I guess, deer hunting in general, but that's one thing that's kind of unique about dogs is, you know, every dog's a little bit different. We, I have one dog that, um, my mom's dog, she just, you know, come right up. You, you say, come and it'll come right up to you every single time. And then my dog, as you know, the, you know, the recall has always been a struggle. Sure. sure. But just every dog's a little bit different. And totally. I think that one way that you got to really read your dog. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and, and you, you know, and for, for the sake of this interview too, like our connection obviously is it, it came through the dogs, you know, and it came yeah. through working with the dogs. And I think, yeah. you know, you're, you found us through your dad and your dad found us through his digging into dog stuff. And so we, yeah. when you, it's like I said, I, I don't think that, and I don't pretend to um, be the answer for, for everybody. Cause like yeah. some trainers, this, this wouldn't be the way, this isn't the way they're going to get their best results. And that's yeah. quite all right. But, yeah. but there are, there are a lot that, that do. And that's, that's to me, you know, when you look at 
the goal of a company, that's one of mine is to, is always to try and figure out ways to make the relationship between the owners and the dogs, the best, the best that it can be. And, and that's, you know, our, I think our products help with that. And then I yeah. think when you combine the products with the training and the, the training information, that's where you kind of, you get stuff done. Yeah. So going back to your products, um, was it a challenge or what was it like to uh, manage a warehouse and, and uh, the products with coming in and out and your inventories and, and all that? Yeah. Was it, was that a big challenge for you? And what was that like? Yeah, it was. Um, I would say that it's just a different mindset and it takes a different mindset. So like we have now we have um, members on our team, like we've got Dan and you've met Dan, right? Have you met Dan? So Dan, Dan's in charge of our warehouse. Um, and he does a really good job of, of just that figuring out like what's coming in, what's going out, uh, yeah. scheduling of assembly and, and, we all kind of work together on it and see big picture stuff with it. But the day-to-day stuff is really in his hands. And then we have a gal named Alicia who does all of our assembly and like all of our sewing on our dummies. And like, she's actually putting the stuff together. And then we've got, you know, we've got supplemental help. Um, Bryce works, Bryce is in college and he works for us, you know, somewhat part-time, but he's helping odds and ends and doing just about a little bit of everything. And so it, when it first started out, it wasn't, it was hard because it was me. It yeah. was all in my, I mean, when we first started out, we were in my parents' basement. Like that's what I, that's when I, when I first started, it was just me. And I, I started in my parents' basement. And I had an eight foot table in the basement that I used to assemble and store stuff. And, and I'd ship it out. You know, I'd take it to the UPS store and ship any orders out. So yeah. from there, we went to my basement, my house, my basement in my house. And then it got to be a little bit bigger, like just took up more space, took a couple eight foot tables. Yeah. And then, you know, we had, we had nights where we had orders where we picked up, you know, retail with like Cabela's and we would have packaging parties and I'd have friends come over and I'd buy beer and pizza and we would just package stuff and then we'd yeah. ship it out the following week. And so yeah. from my basement, it went to, we rented a, we had, it got to be, we couldn't do it there anymore. So we rented a, a little small warehouse area and then we built a bigger warehouse area and now we rented a bigger warehouse area so we've made a bunch of jumps and it wasn't it it was never easy but it always came like the growth part of it always came with a little bit of experience and so once we figured out the systems because that's what it takes is systems once you get your systems in place you can start scaling it pretty easily. You can just make it bigger if, as long as you got enough room and you got yeah. enough, you know, and, and so for us, I think we've always just kind of, as we've, as we've, as we've grown physically, our systems just got a little bit bigger too. And yeah. so, and, and then, you know, more people get involved with the systems as well and, and that, but it, it's, a, it takes a different mindset. And my, it's probably not my strength because I, I'm more into ideas and I'm more into like marketing ideas and I'm more into like creative stuff than the mechanical nuts and bolts of, you know, we need X amount of these by this date. And so you go, again, you go, you get, you find the people that have that strength and that's how you build your team. Yeah. And well, along that line, so, so I know, like, you know, I you walk into, like, uh, stores and you can find your stuff and you can order your stuff online. So what is the difference between, uh, you know, shipping to individuals or, you know, the logistics-wise between individuals and, and stores, I guess, there? Big, dif- big difference, yeah. So we, you know, we, there's um, there's lots of different ways out there. Um, we have integrated systems to try to make it easy. So, so we operate on pretty, pretty low overhead. Like we don't have a lot of people. Um, and, and so part of the way we're able to do that is by utilizing systems that kind of sync together. Um, we're probably not the most efficient, but we do, we do have like a website that links 
um, very easily to all of our shipping platforms, which is, you know, FedEx, UPS, US Postal. And so yeah. when, when orders come in through our website, which we would call direct, like a direct to consumer type, type purchase, if someone orders it, you know, instead of having to take the order somehow and get the data and get the information to ship, it's a click of a button. Our system, you know, it, it, the order came in, you click the button, it clicks, it sends it to the shipping portal, which is another system that we bought that, that is, you know, it's, it's linked into our website. It transfers all the data and information to it. It runs it through and tells you what the shipping options would be and how much they would cost and what the, what the best options would be. And then you, you select one and then you click it and it prints out your pack slip and it prints out your label and you basically go get the product, put it in the box and, and away you go. So we've become pretty smooth with the direct to consumer thing because direct to consumer is a big part of our business. Um, people have become very comfortable with buying stuff online, obviously in the last few years, especially. Um, yeah. But so, so we, we do, that's, it used to be when we would get an order, we'd have to literally print them out and then we'd have to look up the addresses and enter the addresses in and, and go to the different websites. So that used to take a lot longer and it used to be a lot more labor intensive. We've yeah. invested into systems that, that make that easier for our, for our distribution to like retail. Again, we used to kind of do it the old fashioned way, which would be very manual. We, I, when we first started, we were getting, we had to have a fax machine because we would get fat, we would get orders faxed to us. So yeah. like Cabela's and Bass Pro would fax an order to us. We'd, they were the only ones that did it. We had no other, I, I mean, fax machines are, I don't know if they still use them, but um, never used so we used to have one. And because for that reason, well, you know, as time goes on, they, you know, we, we ended up and part of it was, is we grew enough. We got to be big enough yeah. and we had enough orders that we got involved with these systematic companies that, that basically they take it's electronical data now. And so everything is, is done electronically where the retailers send the information through these portals and, and we are members of these portals now. And so all the information comes to us on the back end. And so we, we, we've, in, we've increased our technology to become more um, smooth and streamlined. And so the big orders, you know, even Amazon, when we first started doing business with Amazon, we would get fined so much. We were, we just, because, because the, label wasn't put in the right spot on the box and something was wrong with this. And so we were just getting fined terribly and, and to the point where we just stopped doing business with them. And, you know, here we are some little business stubborn about this Amazon thing and we're not going to do business. Amazon's one of our largest retailers at this point in, in, yeah. you know, this is 10 years later, but you, you can either put your head in the sand and, and be ornery about it and grumpy about it and be stubborn or you got to figure out how to do it better. And so we, we found better systems and we work closer with their teams to figure out what were the problems, what were the issues. You know, the only time we had real bad issues with shipping and all that stuff was when I was in charge of it. So, you know, like I said, it wasn't my strength. And so, but now the team that we have in place, that's what they do and they're really good at it. And so yeah. it's, it's made it, it's made it become, um, it's a necessity and it's all, and we've become good enough at it that it works. Yeah. Like with advertisement and everything, you got to stay up to date and stay, stay on your toes to get the, get the knowledge and, and stay up with the demand, I guess. Right. Right. Yeah. It's always evolving and, yeah. and we got to be too. And that's, that's the challenge, but it's also kind of exciting. You know, like I, I think that that's, that's that's just one small aspect of the business like yeah. you know there's 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 that and then there's the financial parts of it and then there's the the relationship building with retailers and and that's a part another segment of sales and then there's you know there's it, just so many parts of of a business that one person can't be good at all of them there's no way because yeah. not they they take different like parts of the brain to do. Yeah. And that's, that's why, you know, with my business class, we, we learned about, it's like, 
it's in it's a crazy high percentages of startup businesses fail within the first couple of years. And totally. It's, it's for the given reason that um, it's rare to find someone that is good at all of the aspects of business. Yeah. And that's, that's what it comes down yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and I, you know, you had some really good questions in there because I think it is hard for some people. I know some small business people that, that, and I'm not going to say they failed, but they're not in business anymore. And they might've yeah. quit or went on something else or sold early or whatever they did. But it's because they're, well, it goes back to patience, I think, in, in their yeah. impatience, but it, it doesn't happen quickly. Yeah. I think that people think that this stall, all this stuff happens overnight and it happens quickly. And I, I think that if, we, if you look at any, any successful anything, I don't care what it is, um, you know, music, look at musicians. It, yeah. When musicians get big, you know, like all of a sudden they're big. If you look at them, the, everybody just kind of thinks they just, they just made it. They just overnight success. But yeah. the reality is, is if you look at all of them, most of them have been doing it for a long time. Yeah. Like long, 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 long time. Not at a super high level and not at like the level that they are when they all of a sudden have made it, but yeah. they've all been doing it forever. And yeah. nothing is overnight. No business just happens overnight. And I yeah. don't think people realize it because we, we liked hearing, I think we really like, I like hearing the story of the overnight success. I think it's a American dream type thing. And yeah. I go, well, how, where's our, you know, well, nobody's is like that. So yeah. you gotta, you gotta realize it takes a lot of time and a lot of sacrifice and a lot of Ford Rangers, you know, like, yeah. to get there. And so yeah. It's just part of it. So just maybe this isn't so business related, but what, uh, um, how do you plan and prioritize your time? You know, you, you, you have a lot of different things you're doing, you know, because, you know, part of your business is, you know, hunting and getting out there with your yeah. dogs and then part of your business is um, making videos or podcasts. And there's just a lot of different parts. How do you mm -hmm. prioritize all that? Organize your time. Yeah. It's, a good, it's hard. It's a good question because there's this level of you're right. And, and it's hard for me still today. It was really hard for me at certain points, but there are points that where you, you feel almost a level of guilt because you know, you're going hunting. Well, yeah. and then you have to explain it to yourself. Well, that's part of, that's part of this. That's how we, that's how we create content. That's how we get information. Yeah. That's how, and there's also, there's also a part of it that doesn't get talked about. And I I've felt it more and more and more these last, last few years probably is it becomes that if you allow it to which i did do i allowed it to create pressure on me at times to do certain things as well um deer hunting is one of them like deer hunting became i love deer hunting and yeah. it's core it's a core thing for me it's what it's what made it's what made me love the outdoors and yeah. and it's what it's what i did it's what i dreamt about what i read about and page through piles and piles of my grandpa's old outdoor lives and it was just it 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 became it was it was a real driving factor for me well yeah. and it's led me to where i am today but it also has become it also the last few years partially because of outside stuff but partially because i've allowed it to internally it's created stress on me and it's become not as fun it's become, yeah. you know, like using, I, I just wrote an article um, for Gundog Magazine and I wrote about um, one of the things that bow hunting was my escape. I mean, bow hunting was what I looked forward to for a long, long, long time in life. In the last couple of years, bow hunting to me, I, I'd shoot my bow probably a handful of times before the season. I was getting a new bow almost every year, you know, yeah. and, and I'd get the bow set up and you know, a bow is very expensive these days and all the accessories are very expensive and it's super technical. And, you know, I had a buddy that is a really good, um, he works at an, at a, um, at an archery shop and he's, so he's a, a tech that can put together a bow and there, you gotta, you gotta, you can't just go get a bow anymore. Like it's, yeah, it's, you need an 
archery technician to set these things up. They're really technical yep. and complicated. And so when I ha would have him do that and then I'd shoot it and, you know, I'm shooting lasers. I mean, I, I, I have a compound bow. It's a year old right now. I haven't shot anything with it, but I, I took it out of the case this last spring or summer. And I bet you I shot, I haven't shot 25, maybe 30 arrows out of, out of the thing. And I was shooting it at 50 yards. And I mean, I'm dropping it in, I'm dropping it in the bulls in, in the kill zone, you know, on, on yep. a whitetail. And so I thought I'm good, I guess. And the year before that, I shot about the same. I, I mean, I shot it really well. Just didn't take a lot of practice. And, yeah. and, and so I didn't shoot it very often. And when I don't shoot something very often, I thought about bull hunting and I, I kind of have this level of guilt inside of me of like, man, I don't even like, I don't put much work into it. I just, yeah. and so I, I lost kind of my excitement for it for yeah. a while. And, and so this year I bought a, it's a mid 1960s Fred bear recurve. And I bought a dozen Port Orford cedar arrows. They remind me of the ones my dad used to hunt with in the early eighties. And he used to hunt with these wooden arrows, fixed tips. I mean, they're just it's old, old school. Yeah. And I, one of the guys I work with is into it and he sold me one of his old bows. And so it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's a really nice looking bow, but I started shooting it and I enjoy shooting that bow more than any bow I've shot in the last 20 years. Yeah. And I, sh I would get up in the morning excited to go shoot the bow. You can't shoot yeah. it very often. You can't shoot it a lot because it's, there's no let off. Like my, I get sore. I get tired after shooting so many arrows. So yeah. you can't shoot that many. So I, I was excited to get up in the morning and go shoot the bow. I was excited in the evening to get home and shoot the bow. I, I have it. So then I thought, well, this is going to be great. But then I realized very quickly, I can only go out. I can, it took me, took me a couple months to feel comfortable shooting 15 yards with it. Yeah. Like to, to, to kill an animal. I'm at about 15, 17 yards right now, max is as far as I could shoot that bull in at a deer. And I started looking at all my sets, all my deer set, deer hunting setups. I don't have hardly one that's 20 yards or less. I don't, I, everything's set up for like a 30 yard shot to a trail yeah. or a field. Yeah. Well, none of those stands work for me anymore. I can't have a stand up 18 feet because I can't shoot down at an angle because the bow is too long and it hits your leg. So it, like all these things that you never thought about, yeah, all of a sudden changed how I have to bow hunt. So I'm hanging stands lower. I'm putting, I got to get really good cover because I'm going to have to be within 15 yards of the animal. So I'm going to have to be, I can't just hang a stand. I'm going to have to hang a stand in a very specific spot. Yeah. And so it's, it's a challenge that I went, this, this sounds like fun. And all I want to do is shoot a deer with it now. I still haven't, haven't gotten, haven't gotten. I hunted, I bow hunted with it this year. I didn't get in the, I didn't put, I wasn't able to get in the opportunity to kill one. So it's really high on my list. And I think about it an awful lot. It's something I'm working towards. Well, just having that, having that challenge has created a lot of enthusiasm in me and it's gotten to be fun again. And so I think that, you know, when you, when you look at like bow hunting, was was and could have been and should have been a part of like my work well it, it took some of that pressure took away from it yeah and now i'm not going to allow that pressure to be there i'm having a lot of fun just trying to figure this out on my own kind of the old school way and yeah. um so i i think you got to be careful you know training dogs is another one where i know i i know i know my I know my thresholds. Like I know, I know where I got to be as far as numbers of dogs to make sure that I don't burn out. And that's one yeah. thing that I, I won't, I won't allow to happen because without the dogs, I, there's no reason to have the products company yeah. and, and the dogs are what continue to keep me going. And so yeah. I, I always want to, I always, I never want to run into what I ran into with bull hunting. I never want to run into that with dogs. I, I'm going to learn from that. 
you know, and, and so, and the, and, and what I've run into with the bow hunting thing, I'm not going to let that stop me from loving what I love about bow hunting. So I'm just going to change it. I'm going to, and that's where this new bow comes in. And this year I deer hunted with my grandpa's lever action 3030 that was made in 1940. And so for yeah. me, that's just something that helps me keep going, it helps me keep excited about it instead of um, the opposite, which for some people, and for me at one point it was too, was get the biggest, best, fastest, strongest, whatever, always get the better, the newer, the this, the that to keep yeah. me going. I just got to this point where I decided that I think it's the opposite that helps me continue to, to be passionate and have the enthusiasm for the, for whatever it is I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess I, I don't have a lot lot else for you but i'd like to thank you for um taking your time out of your schedule and, and uh, let me do this with you and uh, it was an honor i'd like to oh, thank you for that. i appreciate the opportunity man it was a lot of fun it's a different kind of different kind of um conversation because normally it's you know we're yeah. talking about the the nuts and bolts and the specifics and this is a this is a different has a very different feel to it so i'm yeah. i'm honored to be able to to do it with you i appreciate it you know we've known each other now for, for long enough. You, you understand you're, you're, you're a really good kid and an important part of my life. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be able to help in any way I can.